Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to again talk to you about the Kingdom of God. And as I was listening to the news just before the show began, and evidently Al Sharpton has come out with a statement that the Bible is about choice. And I have to agree with Al Sharpton. The Bible is about choice. Unfortunately, Al Sharpton was advocating that uh, that uh, the Bible is pro-abortion because it's about choice. And, and abortion is about choice, right? <laughs> so I thought, how, how amazing that Alfred Charles Sharpton Jr., uh, who was born back in 1954, uh, so he's actually way younger than me, uh, I was surprised that uh, I thought he was a lot older, <laughs> so I guess I guess he's just a young whippersnapper. But uh, he's you know he's a very controversial character. He owes millions of dollars in back taxes, and he's he's always stirring the pot, so to speak. But uh, the Bible is about choice, but uh, abortion isn't about choice. Abortion is about taking the choice away from the child in a woman's womb. That's what abortion is about. It's about choosing death rather than life. I mean, murder's about choice, right? So the Bible, you know, supposedly advocates murder, even though it says, Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not murder your neighbor. Thou shalt not do a lot of things. Uh, so it is, it's just amazing how crazy people's interpretation of the Bible can be. You can make it mean almost anything you want it to mean because it's your truth that you're seeking to verify. You're reading the Bible because you're trying to verify what you want to believe is true. You want to decide what is good and evil. The Bible says in itself that it is not open to private interpretation. And every individual's interpretation of the Bible is a private interpretation. Every individual. Every priest, uh, pontiff, uh, uh, minister, uh, Bible scholar, his interpretation of the Bible is a private interpretation. Because the Bible is not... a about being interpreted by you, the individual who's going to decide what is good and evil. The Bible is supposedly, this is what the claim is, is it's an inspired document that was written by a lot of different people and inspired by those people through the Holy Spirit. So when you read the Bible, the only interpretation that is valid is that which comes to you by way of the Holy Spirit. 
That's not, the Holy Spirit is not a private interpretation. That is an actual interpretation. Now, you may have a private interpretation of what you're telling me. The Holy Spirit is telling you that the Bible means. Well, you're still back to a private interpretation. The point is, as we've talked about before, you have an opinion, I have an opinion, uh, Al, Alfred Charles Sharpton has an opinion, uh, but God's opinion is the truth. Your opinion might be close to the truth. His opinion might be close to the truth. My opinion might be close to the truth. But God's opinion, by the nature of what we call God, is the truth. Because God is the I am. The, the, the reality. That's what the I am is. What I am is is what is. What is, is what I am is. <laughs> so, I, you, you get the point is that the reality of whatever is all around us is not subjective. It's objective. It is what is. You know, you can have an opinion about it, but what is remains what is. And your opinion does not change the truth. But it's your job if you're going to follow Jesus Christ, is to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which would be the righteousness, the real righteousness, the real truth. So Al Sharpton is right that the Bible is about choice, choosing the truth over the lie, choosing God's opinion over your personal opinion, choosing God's will over your will, That's what the Bible is about. And I'm pretty sure that it's not God's will that you murder the child in your womb. So, so much. I mean, it's just amazing. I just, it wasn't what the show was going to be about. And, but the reality is the show is about choice. Because that's, that's where we're supposed to be at. We're supposed to be, uh, choosing. To do the will of the Father. I mean, even Jesus. Not my will, but thine be done. So, some of the topics that came up this week uh, in conversations with people all around the world is, uh, it wasn't have anything to do with Al Sharpton. I just heard that on the news and I just had to make a comment about it because we're going to show you that the Bible is about giving you the right to choose. The power to choose, which of course is what Paul talks about in Romans 13. Let every man remain subject to the power to choose. The the higher power is the power, the original power to choose. Because the word that they have there that we see in the text, exousia, means the right to choose. It doesn't mean government. It could mean government if the government has the right to choose for you. It could mean your father has the right to choose for you. You know, if you're five years old and you want to go out and play, your father may say, no, you can't go out and play. You have to stay in, you know, because of COVID. (laughs) I don't know why, but... uh, he may not, he says you can't go out and play in the traffic. You want to go out and play in the middle of the road. Well, he says you can't do that. So, he has the power to choose for you because you're under the dominion of your father. 
And we talked uh, a week or so ago about this, these three verses in, in the Bible that uh, talk about exercising authority one over the other. And uh, we're told by Jesus Christ not to do that. We're not to exercise authority one over the other. We see it in Matthew twenty twenty five, in Mark ten forty two, and Luke twenty two twenty five. And the, Christ is very clear that, and he actually uses the word exousia according to what the Bible writes down. Well, he may not have been speaking in Greek at the time, so he probably said it in Hebrew, but we don't really have an accurate or an acceptable version of the Hebrew Bible as quoting Christ. We had, There are Hebrew Bibles around, but uh, somebody had that wasn't written necessarily by the authors of the first four Gospels. But in that Matthew twenty twenty five. uh we see, but Jesus called them unto him, called the apostles unto him, and it may have been more than just the apostles there, but at least the apostles were there, and said, you know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them. And there's a particular word there that they use when they say exercise dominion, which is Catechurio. And and that particular word uh, has to do with exercising lordship. Rulership. So, it, are, are your congressmen your rulers? Or are they your representatives? Do they have the power to decide everything for you? Do, can, do, do, is there any limitations on their powers? Uh, they can make all your choices for you. They can tell you who to marry. They can tell you who to uh, where you can get a job and where you can't get a job. And uh, they can control where you work and they can control where you do. Can they do all that? Well, no, not at least supposedly not in America. But uh, how? Where? Where are their limitations and what they can tell you to do? Can they tell you what church to give to? What, what church to donate to? Uh, can they exercise authority over your free practice of religion? Well, you say, well, no, they, they can't, they can't choose my religion for me. They don't have that power. Well, what's religion? Uh, religion, 200 years ago, when the Constitution was written, was said to be the pious performance of a duty to God and your fellow man. And, of course, your duty to your fellow man is, according to Jesus, is to love your neighbor as yourself. And according to Moses, you're not to covet your neighbor's goods. You're not to cover any, covet anything that is your neighbor. You, you're not to desire to have anything that belongs to your neighbor. And you're also not to make covenants with the God's in the world that you go to, you know, in whatever land you go into, you're not to make covenants with those gods. And you certainly should not make covenants with those gods to get your neighbor's stuff, <laughs> you know, to take away from your neighbor. That would be a violation of at least two commandments. 
And if you took enough stuff away from your neighbor that he died, that would be the violation of three commandments. You know, and if you, you turned your, your neighbor's wife or your neighbor's daughters into cooks for you and made them work for you, made them uh, labor for you, that would be another commandment that you broke. <laughs> you would be, all these commandments, which are really guideposts telling you how the system of God works, how to avoid the wrath of God, which the wrath of God is the consequences for stupid things that you do, you would be in violation of all those things. But, of course, you haven't made any covenants with any gods, have you? Well, actually, a god is someone who just is an exercising authority. A, a god is, you know, a ruling judge who's going to decide what is good and evil for you. That's The word theos in the Greek and the word Elohim in the Hebrew means someone who has the right to rule what is good and what is evil. What is right, what is wrong. That makes them a god. That's why Jesus said, you also are gods. Because Jesus was agreeing with Al Sharpton saying that the Bible was about choice. You you have a right to decide. Now, you can't decide without the consequences of that decision. So if you decide badly, you may suffer for it. And so this, this word where they talk about these people who have dominion, they're the ones who have... Uh, the authority to subject you to their will. They can make you do what they want you to do. I mean, it's translated to be Lord of, to rule, to have dominion. That's what it supposedly means. You know, to overcome. Lord over. Exercise lordship. Over. Exercise dominion. Over. These are the way it's translated. So, how do, does one man get the power to exercise authority over other men? So that they can be called rulers. Because Jesus is talking about the rulers of the Gentiles, using the word Gentiles, which means other nations. Uh, ethnos is the word he uses there. And he says, those rulers exercise authority one over the other. And when he uses the word exercises authority, he's using another Greek word, which is a compound of the exosia, the right to choose. That's what exosia means. That's what we see in Paul's Romans 13. Exosia. The higher exosia, the original exosia, the original right to choose, the original right to choose was in your hands. But you would make that choice based on one of two things. You would base it on the tree of life, which is the Holy Spirit that was literally breathed into Adam, 
by God. They gave him dominion over the earth. Or you make that choice based on the tree of knowledge, which is you, your brain, your because that's where your identity ends up, is only in your brain, not in the spirit. You get to decide what is good and evil. And if you do that, bad things will happen. You'll be like a god. That's what the serpent told you. That you would be like a god deciding what is good and evil. But God said you will die if you go that way. That was the opinion of God the Creator. And he told you you can eat of this but there's going to be consequences or you can eat of this this tree of life which is divine revelation through the Holy Spirit and you will live. Well, Personally, I think Al Sharpton's been eaten of the wrong tree for a long time, which is why he's come to these private conclusions that are just absolutely incorrect. But I will, I will forego the study on this exercising authority for now, but I thought we needed to touch on that so that you would have some sort of idea of what we're going to be talking about today because it all ha- comes down to this exercising authority. Another quote that I came across this weekend, which I've heard many times before, is Thomas Sowell, who says, One of the most important reasons for studying history is that virtually every stupid idea (laughs) that is in vogue today has been tried before and proved disastrous before. Time and time again. So, yeah, we study history so that we don't make the same stupid mistakes that other people made years and years before. Unfortunately, they took history out of the curriculum uh, many years ago. I remember that uh, when my kids would have been in grade school. They were home taught. They were taking the history class out of school. And an employee at the school was telling me that he thought this was really good. Because why do it doesn't matter what the Romans did. It doesn't matter what the Greeks did. Why do we study that history? We should be, you know, he said the history teacher sent his son home with uh, an assignment. To know the names of all the major college football teams. (laughs) This was his school assignment. But studying history, no need to do that. We don't need to study history. And, you know, I actually was dumbfounded. I didn't know what to say. I just, I couldn't hardly even speak. I mean, it's like, you know, where do you even begin talking to somebody so naive? But, you know, that's the way it is. Uh, and, and now they've put history back in, but of course they've had all this time not to teach history, and so they put in a fake history. You know, like I say, before there was, you know, as soon as there was the good news, then there was the fake good news. 
and it, the idea that we're being told things that are false has been going on for a long time. I uh, I'm also mention that uh, you know I I saw a video at PragerU about uh, paying off student loans and uh, uh, forgiving. They say forgiving student loans. They're not going to forgive the student loans. Student isn't going to have to pay the loan back, but somebody is going to pick up the bill. They're not doing away with it. It's not like they they loaned you the money out of their pocket and they said, oh, you just don't have to pay it back. I just, I'll just let that go. No. They, they loaned that money out of your neighbor's pocket because they borrowed against the assets of the United States. All the people that are surety for debt, that's all the citizens of the United States, they borrowed against their labor to send money to colleges that immediately up the <laughs> up the tuition for people who didn't want to take a student loan out, who would now just go do something else other than go to college rather than take a student loan out. See, what's driven up the cost of tuition in schools, why schools have gotten so expensive, and why they have gotten so unresponsive they haven't created courses that are actually create an employable population what because they had this huge influx of money coming in from student loans student loans was the worst possible thing that you could have done for students is to make it easy for them to go into debt for one that's a violation of the sabbath we talked about that last week that Sabbath was about working first and then taking the benefit of that work uh, after you've done the work. It's not about taking the benefit of your labor first and then owing your labor. That's what the Sabbath is about. It's not about counting days. It's about earning your rest by working first and then taking your rest. It's about staying out of debt, not borrowing against the future. So there's another of the commandments that you're in violation of if you went out and took a student loan. And if your churches were actually preaching the gospel, your minister's eyes would have been opened and they would have seen this coming and warned you and your children not to take student loans. But the whole church, the whole body of the church, the the harlot, the daughters of the harlots, uh, almost all the churches out there are in apostasy. They're not preaching the gospel. And we'll, we'll, we'll continue to prove that over and over again if you keep listening to the keys of the kingdom. But you have to really want to know the truth. But in that video where they talked about how bad that was, I kept bringing up qui bono. To whom is it a benefit? To whom is it an advantage? But we'll talk about that when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom after a brief break. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, what is uh, the uh, benefit? Uh, and who gets the benefit? If they pay off the student loans. Well, the student thinks 
he is getting the benefit because he doesn't have to pay off the loan. And of course, the, the, if you watch the rest of the PragerU video on on the subject, uh, they point out that most of the people who are going to reap a financial and an immediate financial benefit from the student loan forgiveness is going to be people who who are rich and well off and make lots of money and are quite capable of paying off the the student loan. Very small number of people overall will have an advantage to it. But it sounds good and so they're promoting it. But the reality, everybody will eventually suffer because of this uh, approach of paying off these loans because it's going to increase in inflation it, it teaches people not to be responsible i mean it's removing the consequences of stupid ideas and allows stupid people to continue to reproduce <laughs> and reproduce their stupidity because they don't they don't have to confront the fact that you know like i, I I've told this story many times where it ended up a huge wreck with some giant percheron horses and uh, almost getting somebody killed and fences uh, knocked down and everything because somebody decided to do something that was really a bad idea. And uh, ended up I jumped on a horse bareback and had to go running across the desert to catch these wild percherons who were running broken harnesses dragging by <laughs> and I caught them and, and brought them back and then uh, the individual involved said well that was a learning experience and I turned to him and said it's only a learning experience if you never ever do that again <laughs> and that's that's always stuck with me it's only a learning experience if you actually learn from it <laughs> And unfortunately, that's what they're, these, these people who foolishly took out these student loans took bad advice. And, and the parents of those people who did not give their children better advice, uh, who, who did not limit their choices and exercise dominion over them and say, no, that's not a good idea. Don't do this. It's going to end badly. And the preachers that taught those people and the school teachers that taught those people, this is a long chain of bad choices to take out these student loans for education that was not going to get you a job. You can go and take... There are systems out there that, that will help you get jobs and get educated in those jobs and actually guarantee those jobs if you finish the course. But it's not presented by colleges. Colleges were just looking for the big bucks. So anyway, what really what I was going to talk about is this word ecclesia. Because really the church, which is the Greek word ecclesia is translated into church in most of the Bibles today. That ecclesia should have been a source of wisdom and divine guidance. It's not. The modern church is not a source of divine guidance. It's not a source of the wisdom of God. 
it's actually a source for the more of the foolishness of the world in most cases. And, you know, it doesn't matter that they do say some things that are good and some of the ministers are really nice guys and all that. That doesn't matter. What matters is, are they telling you the whole truth? Are they telling you the whole gospel? The whole good news? Because they don't tell you the whole good news. What they're telling you is a lie. Because that is the definition of a lie, is not the whole truth. And like I've, I've told many stories and many uh, situations where ministers admittedly tell me they can't tell people this about the gospel because the people might leave the church. Christ was not so particular. He told people when they were wrong. He told people when they were doing wrong. When they were workers of iniquity. When, when they were covetous. When they were desiring that which they should that When they didn't understand what Moses was really saying. So anyway, somebody had written something and asked a question uh, in in the context of what they wrote. And what they wrote was that the ecclesi- the word ecclesia just means assembly. It was just used as the word assembly at that time that the Bible was written. And it is a rather vague term. And uh, and this is the individual writing this was someone who advocates home church, and I advocate. Home congregations gathering in homes rather than big, huge church buildings that cost lots of money and don't actually fulfill the command of Christ to feed my sheep because they're not actually feeding the sheep. They're just tickling their ears in most of these churches. Now, a lot of people say, well, not my church. My church preaches the real gospel. No, well, let's see. Keep listening to the keys of the kingdom and see if you really match up with what Christ said. Because it doesn't appear based on the deeds of most of the people going to churches that they know the gospel because they are full of the deeds of the Nicolaitan. They are full of the error of Balaam. And they don't even know. They're Corbin is the Corbin of the Pharisees. And all this has gone on while the church said it was the church. Because it's not really the church established by Christ. It's actually the adversary of Christ. Therefore, most churches today, now it may be out of ignorance, but it's still the case, are the churches of Satan. The adversary. Satan means adversary. They are the churches of the adversary of Christ. Because they are preaching the opposite of what Christ preached. They are saying that we should get the Corbin of the Pharisees from the men who exercise authority one over the other. The men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other. We should go to them and pray to them for our daily bread. For our welfare. For our social security. And that's not what the Ecclesia was teaching. Now, I, I, I added a section to our page on Ecclesia and some of the content in this section, which is banking on 
false interpretation. And and the reason I use the word banking is because there's somebody by the name of uh, Julian Robert Bank, who uh, or Banks, who wrote a book that says that the word ecclesia just means assembly. And that is just absolutely false. That's not true. And in the course of writing my response to them, I ended up creating this little section and putting it in on that page. And I agree that the early church gathered in homes. Uh, The early congregations of the people gathered in home and therefore the church was there because the church was the ecclesia. It's not a building. The church is not an institution. The church is the called out because that's what ecclesia means, called out. Now that called out needed to come into one accord and and it was also needed to be appointed a kingdom which is what Christ said, it is my good pleasure to appoint unto you, referring to his little flock, a kingdom. But then he says those those lines that we see in Matthew, Mark, and Luke were, but you're not to exercise authority one over the other. And the word exercise authority is the word make choices for. We're not, we're not to make choices for the people. So, this was essential if Christ was going to return every man to his family and every man to his possessions. Now, your possessions aren't yours anymore. Your land is not yours. Your children are not yours. They should be. But you're finding out, when push comes to shove, that they're saying no because of parents' patria, making the state your father, the state doing the job of a natural father. And we see this extremely under the welfare people. You know, if there's a father in the house, you don't get the welfare. If there's no father in the house, you get welfare. And so, therefore, they went from 3% uh, single-parent families in the black community to over 70% single-parent families in the black community. And that came about because of choice. So, Al Sharpton's right. You have the power of choice. But it came about because you chose to go to the state to take care of the needy of your society. The churches weren't doing it like we talked about the the whitehead who got a million dollars worth of jewelry stolen off of him while he was in church. How in the world did he do that? (laughs) How did he get a million dollars worth of jewelry? Because he was wearing it. That's why. That's why he got that. Because he was wearing that jewelry. And he shouldn't have been wearing that jewelry. He shouldn't have had that jewelry if he was really a minister of Christ. But he's not really a minister of Christ. He's a minister of the apostate church. Established by men. He doesn't even know what the real church is supposed to be doing. He has no daily ministration that takes care of the needy of society. If there's any needy in his church, they all go to the men who exercise authority and pray for their benefits, even though they know that their benefits will come from two places, from their neighbor, and because most of the what they give you is borrowed against the future, and 
from their neighbor's children. They will curse their neighbor's children with debt. That is so simple to understand, but yet people don't understand it. So, yeah, the the original church was in, uh, the original gathering of the people were in homes. But those homes formed a vast network, and we see right away in Acts that they were taking care of the widows and orphans, not only in Jerusalem, not only in their local congregations, but as far away as Greece. The daily administration in Greece was being neglected, so they actually set up an, literally an international monetary fund to transfer funds all over the Roman world. And they did it by choosing seven men you trust. Those men lived in many different areas. They, this was not some... They, these are not waiters on a table, you know, where they're serving, you know, unleavened bread for breakfast for the widows and orphans. These were very wealthy men who lived all over the Roman Empire. And they were seven of them. There's a reason why they picked seven of them. They tell you in the Old Testament. You can go read our article on seven men and find out why they picked these men. And this was literally an alternative government. To look to. It was not a government like the Gentiles who exercised authority, but it was an alternative government where men exercised charity and love for one another. And these seven men were a part of an institution to facilitate that love. And you could give money to your local ministers and your local ministers could deposit it with those men to move those funds to another part of the world or to buy supplies in one place where there was enough to buy load it onto a ship and ask people like Barnabas and and Paul to take these supplies over to this other area that is running short of food and we see them doing this in Acts and and providing for the needy of their society in a very broad and international sort of way. You, you're not doing that in your home churches. You're not doing that in your regular churches. Like I said, in your regular churches, if you need anything, if you fall on hard times, they send you to men who exercise authority one over the other and take away from your neighbor and your neighbor's children so that you can have free stuff like pay off your student loan or social security or what have you. The ecclesia, as the same guys that Jesus said he was, we know Jesus called out and said that they were to be in the world but not of the world, were to feed the sheep, feed the people, take care of the people, but were to do it without exercising authority, without making choices for them, without taking away from their neighbor or taking away the right of their choice from their neighbor. Because the early church was not one purse. It wasn't a central treasury. It was a system, a network, by which they could take care of the needs of each other. You don't have that. None of the churches are promoting that today. Little bit token, some of the, you know, they do do some charity work, but most of the charity is, is again, 
to those men who exercise authority. Now, the idea that ecclesia just meant, you know, was vague or means assembly, uh, may fit the narrative of people like Banks and others, but it doesn't, it doesn't meet the history. Because the Greek word ecclesia is well established. It, it had been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. It was a very specific term. It was a very political term. It specifically, you know, literally it means called out. Ecclesia. But interpretations and definitions have said a gathering of men called out or summoned for a particular purpose. And and we know, you can go back to 600 A.D. in ancient Greece. And there was an ecclesia in many of the city-states. And they were usually called out either by the citizens or by uh, some elected official. Uh, One of the elected officials would be a guy by the name of Draco. Yeah, that's what his name is. That's where we get the word draconian. <laughs> yes. They actually, in their, uh, you know, the the roots of this this idea of the ecclesia that's called out, this is a created word. And it's related to the Homeric uh, agora, which is actually an assembly, a meeting. And an agora is more the meeting of the whole people. It's like a big gathering. And there were areas in which the uh, Agora, the, this giant assembly of the people in a particular area, would all come together in an area. And those areas were actually referred to as what we would call temple areas. There wasn't necessarily a temple there. They didn't build buildings as a temple. But they had certain areas where they meet. The Indians had this in the White Pine Confederation. They would have certain areas where they could all come and meet, and nobody was to kill anybody in this area. So that if you had different factions, different groups, different feuds, you know, family feuds or whatever, you know, they all come and meet in this area. Nobody's allowed to kill anybody in this area. So they were sacred areas. You couldn't kill anybody in those areas. And this this is the way societies were: is that they had a place that would go. And you wouldn't, you would be able to resolve disagreements, uh, deal with problems, uh, find out what's going on, etc. And these, these were, these, uh, this had to do with that word agora. But the ecclesia was an assembly of people, citizens of a given city, state, or group, or nation of people that were called out for a particular reason. And they, in that process of being called out, uh, they were given certain jobs to do, certain responsibilities. One was, you know, uh, determine, you know, who the general of the army was going to be. They would pick them. Who was going to be the commander-in-chief? Uh they would also uh, deal with other issues, you know, like if there was a shortage of food, if there was needs in society. Now, in the early stages, most of the needs of society were met by the family or extended family or local community. 
You can go to the Teutons, you can go to the Danites, you can go to the Jews. They, they all had systems of charity and priests to administer that charity and the redistribution of wealth. But the choice of what you were going to give to do that was in the hands of the people. And they had a network through which to make sure that happened. Which was, as we see Jethro talks about and Moses implemented and it goes way back even before Nimrod where communities were organized in symposia, as the Greeks would say, in these groups of ten families. And, of course, their armies would gather in the same, you know, their militias would gather in the same patterns. But if you were to break that pattern, break the incentive for that pattern, society would crumble. I mean, it's like cutting the threads of a garment so that it comes unwound, un, you know, breaks the warp and weft of that society so that it, the very fabric of society is destroyed. Well, the systems of charity to take care of the needy of society bound society together. And they bound societies together in love. But because people don't study history, because the churches don't preach the gospel, when somebody came along and said, you don't have to worry about it, we will take care of the needy of your society. Yeah, we'll, we'll tax the rich or we'll, we'll tax, you know, uh, we'll put tariffs on foreign goods. And that will give us the funds. And, and, and if you want to donate, you know, 1.4%, uh, you can sign up and then we'll just take you know, just a tiny 1% of your income and we'll put it in a fund. Or we'll put it in the treasury. And we'll take care of your needs. You know, when you're old. And so that, that's what they were planning. Or that's what, the, that's the way they sold it. But what they were really doing is robbing you of the social bonds, the social network that was taking care of all that before. You know, I, I remember a story of it, uh, goes back to, you know, the early 1900s. Where there was an old widow lady who lived in a small house and, and, uh, she was getting older and older and a neighbor, a farmer, would come by and check on her and make sure she had enough wood, made sure she had enough food and they took care of her and made sure she was okay. I mean, she did for herself, but she was getting older and was going to need help. I mean, we've done it with people out here who aren't even in our in our congregations. Don't understand the sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. But you know, I actually put in a quote on the page the Arthen, uh, the Athenian Ecclesia, and I'm taking a quote from uh, Encyclopedia Britannica, for which. Exists the most detailed record was already functioning in Draco's day, which is around 16, uh, 621 BC, 600 years before Christ. 
And he's not talking about an assembly. That would be an agora. And I, I give all kinds of different Greek words that it can be translated into assembly. And each of them have a little bit different meaning. But the idea that the ecclesia, the church, is just an assembly is absurd. It's a lie. And we should not believe people who say that. Now, they may not know they're lying. They may be just deceived because they got poor educations too. But there seems to be an agenda in some of the people who say it or repeat that nonsense. But we'll, we'll take this where we need to go next so you know what's going to happen tomorrow in the world. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So this Draco character lived in 600 AD. He had an ecclesia. He was also elected to office. It was kind of the beginning of the... He was considered by many to be one of the first legislators in existence, elected by a democracy. And he codified laws. Now, he didn't actually write the code. Somebody else was writing the codes, and he put it together. And uh, was and of course this this is the way that history is often taught, and I, I should put this in right away so you understand. Now sometimes I'm quoting you know like historical sources as to you know somebody saying like you know the first social security systems, the first uh, social welfare state. They will tell you that Social Security was may either be a, a synonymous with the, a welfare system that refers to a specific, uh, you know, social insurance program where you could you could get something because you were a contributor or because you are a member of something, and so they can divide this up in, in, in different ways. But when you read about it in places like Wikipedia or Britannica, they'll tell you the first codified universal government welfare was instituted in the 7th century, about the same time as Draco, uh, 634. And uh, it was done by uh, somebody by the name of uh, Rashidun Caliph. In Umar, that's you know they'll give you references and they'll tell you that that's when it was and everything, and then they they talk about you know the first welfare state was Imperial Germany, which is 1871 to 1918 under the Bismarck government. But none of that's true. These are not the first. It's the first they're telling you about. The first they're recording. Nimrod was a welfare state. That's why he was called a mighty provider instead of the Lord. He wasn't a mighty hunter. The word there is provision, a, a provider of provisions instead of the Lord. And how did the Lord provide provisions for the people? Through pure religion, through the practice of free choice. You choose to give to your neighbor. And you may create a network in which to do that giving. Where you look out amongst yourselves, like Peter says, and find men you trust, and you, you put them over this matter of waiting on tables. And when Peter talks about the waiting on tables, people make it sound like I, I said earlier is that somehow these seven men are going to be, you know, serving unleavened bread to widows at tables somewhere. But that's not. That's not what he means because the word tables means something else. It actually means, it's translated bank. 
And, of course, we've explained and shown how the temples were banks, depositories, and how the money changers were at tables, and Christ didn't tip over the table. He turned the tables over to somebody else because only the king could fire corrupt money changers, the king or the high priest. And so if you don't know these things, if you're listening to these pastors, you're going around saying, well, Ecclesia just means assembly. So you just meet in your home, uh, and then you, you know, you can say the magic words like, uh, "I have accepted Jesus into my heart as my personal savior." That was another thing that came up. This is a young little kid whose parents are teaching her that she needs to say that I accept Jesus Christ as my personal savior, and then I'll be saved. And she's all worried about her friend who hasn't said those magic words, and so therefore she's not saved. But of course, this is. This is childish catechism. Because Jesus said it's not those who say, but those who do it the will of the Father. But this child is being taught that, no, you just say this, and then you're automatically saved. Which is taking Paul out of the context of Christ. But Paul preached Christ first. And Christ said, not those who say, but those who do it the will of the Father. And the will of the Father is that thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods. Thou shalt not desire anything that's thy neighbor's. So if you're not seeking the kingdom of God, which is a welfare system based on faith, hope, and charity, you're not following Christ. You're not following his ecclesia. You're not a part of his ecclesia. You're not living by faith, hope, and charity. You're saying, you're, you're practicing witchcraft. Witchcraft is that you say certain things and make it happen because you say it. I mean, you know, like I could say I'm a girl and then I could be a girl because I say I'm a girl. Don't we see that going on? Now, most of you, you were probably listening to this show would know, well, you can't just say you're a girl and become a woman. That's ridiculous. That's uh, delusional. But, some of you might be saying that I can say I'm a Christian and I've just become a Christian. That's delusional too. Because that isn't what Christ said. And the doctrines of the church should be the doctrines of Christ. The doctrines of Christians should be the doctrine of Christ. And Christ said it's not those who say. Yet you're telling your children all you have to do is say. No. And, and you know, yeah, I'm not telling people how to raise their children. I'm just saying, this is what the gospel is. I'm just speaking the truth as I see it. You, know, you don't have to see it the way I see it, but you're going to suffer the consequences if you're wrong. And delaying the consequences by going to men who exercise authority, by, you know, by thinking, well, it's okay to go into debt because I just get the government to pay off my debt. Forgive my debt. Government's not forgiving debt. Forgiving debt would be that the government actually, well, see, the government can't even write off the debt because it borrowed money to pay your student loans, to create your student loans. The money they gave you, they borrowed from somebody else because the government's been operating in debt for years and years. You haven't kept the Sabbath since 1913. <laughs> and certainly since 1933. 
So, yeah, so the idea that these social welfare states, they did exist at the time of Draco. That's how he got elected. That's why he got elected. Now, here's here's the amazing thing, and we have to touch on this. We'll get more and more into this as we follow through on these ideas. But what possessed the people to elect Draco and give him the power to codify the law? To give him the power of choice to decide what was good and what was evil. I mean, it's bad that people are trying to decide for themselves rather than eat of the Holy Spirit, eat of the tree of life. It would be bad if the people individually were trying to decide for themselves by only eating of the tree of knowledge. But to give Draco the power to decide for them. You know, Draco, it's actually the Greek word for dragon or serpent. And I, I can't help but believe that there isn't something mystical in the fact that this guy had the name of Draco. Because I actually believe that was his name. But he he has the dragon heart, the serpent heart, the cold-blooded heart. He did not have mercy. You could be put to death for almost anything. Minor infractions. Now, the reality is, I have seen that appear from time to time throughout history. Rome did it. You know, after they took all the silver out of the Roman coin and uh, tried to implement price controls because they had runaway inflation, because that's where runaway inflation comes from, is by creating a money system not based on truth, not on present value, not on reality, not on what is, but what people imagine, which is what notes are they the Federal Reserve will tell you that notes have no value they're not redeemable in lawful money anymore they've taken that off and so those notes have no real value and they're printing them like crazy And, and it's a plan because it's actually you're under attack and you're being you know you're the they're just not flying over with bombs yet and dropping troops in different areas of the United States to control the harbors. That's what they'll do is control harbors, control transportation, control highways. Uh, they, they won't, they won't control all of the U.S., but the parts they don't control will be starving. They will be struggling. That, because it's absolutely essential for tyranny, for the dragons of the universe, to take over this planet, this world, um, which we live, they have to destroy the capacity of America to fight, to wage a war. And this seed has been planted in the hearts of the CCP, of of, uh, of Russia, of Iran, uh, and, uh, you know, the, the caliphates of today, because that was, remember, that was a caliphate that was instituting what they say is the first welfare state. But no, no, it wasn't. You can go back to Nimrod. You can go back to Pharaoh. 
had a welfare state. You just owed 20% of your labor and then the Pharaoh would provide you with grain when there was a shortage of grain. And other benefits as well. Rome had it. Free bread in Rome. That was a welfare state. And they gave it out regularly. They gave out money. They gave out cheese. They gave out wine. It wasn't just bread. Bread was the essential item. And they had... You know, 14 acres of grain silos that would be filled on a regular basis with shipments of tens of thousands of tons of grain from Egypt. But, you know, they could afford it at first, but then this is breaking down. But how did they afford it under Caesar? Well, before Caesar, even before with Julius Caesar, who was never Caesar, he was a commander. He was able to bestow all kinds of money on these temples, government temples, to purchase the grain because he was selling the Gauls into slavery. And, like I said, many times you see these draconian rules of, you know, death because you violated price controls. Death because, you know, where you see the law enforcement out of control. Uh, you know, they don't enforce the law for people rioting and beating people and, and setting fires to buildings. They, they release them, creating more and more chaos. Of course, there's a reason why they want crime to go up. Because eventually the people will cry out and give them the power to bring in. Your, they will have already decimated your local police forces by defunding the police. Poor training amongst police. All kinds of reasons. But then they will bring in a federal police force to fill the gap that they created. Which is, you know, what they've done with the money and everything. This is this is repeated throughout history. But Christ had a solution to this. But your churches aren't telling you what it is. And it, it involves home churches where ten families gather together and connect with 90 other families and they connect with a 100 other families or a 1,000 other families and and they create a network where but the bonds of that network are love and charity. You have to start taking care of one another through charity and, and there's a good reason to do that because with inflation and and soon they'll start you know you won't be getting the unemployment you won't be getting the <laughs> You won't be getting, your social security check won't go as far and, and food will be more and more expensive if you can even get it because they're at war with the farmers and the ranchers right now as well. I see it. Uh, others I know personally in the government sees it, that they're, they're taking their water, they're taking, they, they've turned Klamath into a dust bowl. The water's there, but they're not letting them have it. And there used to be just green fields everywhere growing all kinds of food that would feed everybody in the community and beyond. That's gone. They, 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 this war has been going on for a long time, very subtle. It's getting more and more obvious. In Grants Pass, there used to be the Savage Rapids Dam. And with that, they were able to irrigate thousands and thousands of acres using no electricity whatsoever. But they had to take the dam out. They couldn't just open the floodgates and let the fish pass through. They had to take the dam out so it doesn't even exist anymore. And the government has offered for free, for free, 
to pump water up out of the river to the to the farmers in the community so they can still get their water. But what if they stop pumping? Because that, that's the process now. They're going all over statewide and in other states as well, all over the country, and they're filing on the flow rights of the water. So they will, the state will, and state agencies will own the flow rights of the water. They can shut off all the water for all those farms all around Grants Pass. And no water, no crop. You're not going to be growing anything. So where are you going to get your food? It's going to have to come in through ports. And they will control the ports. I mean, it's just so obvious. But you have to actually know history, which is why I'm, you know, I'm dissuading people or showing people. No. No. Uh, that is not the meaning of Ecclesia. Draco, you know, he legislated these laws. Now, that only lasted about 25 years and then Solon came in and repealed almost all of them. And then the only death penalty was for murder, which is, you see the evolution, but this again would come back again. This was 600 B.C. We would see this same process repeated. How did the people get to the point where they gave Draco such draconian powers where he seized those powers and how come it took 25 years of execution the reality you can go back to the days of Nimrod go back to the days of the Hammurabi codes there's another codification they act like this is the first legislator who was codified no not so you know kings were often elected by groups of nobles who accepted this guy as the king? Because there's often the, there's wealthy guys in the area, and they have the same almost equal amount of wealth. But one will be more popular than the other, and they'll they'll put him in this position. You know, they had kings in Ireland and uh, kings in in Saxon Britain before William the Conqueror. Yeah, even King David. You know his. His soldier was willing to take out his sword and smite the farmer who was giving David a hard time because of the mistakes that David made. And David said, no, he's right. And I see the same shepherd boys going up to the king in Ireland and telling him off because he wasn't doing things right. But the more power you give those kings to decide. You know, the kings in Saxon England had to knock on the door of the free man. Because he was free. You know, now warrants are issued left and right. <laughs> and they're sealed in secret warrants. And, and uh, But they're not, you know, Hunter Biden's laptop. I mean, we just, for those of this time st- stamps this show... This is the week that, you know, Mar-a-Lago was raided. And and the amazing thing, if you, uh, Gorka, Sebastian Gorka had an interesting interview almost immediately after the uh, uh, FBI, head of the FBI spoke. Um, and he laid out, you know, all these FBI agents were in the storage room. 
uh, it's been ruled over and over again that the president has a right to his papers and he could take his papers and they're his papers and they were in a secure room uh, that was locked that was secured by the Secret Service. Those are his papers. Uh, it, Trump didn't take nearly as many papers as Obama did. Uh, Clinton took papers and tapes and people sued for the some of these things that were not kept in a secure place. And... Uh, and the courts ruled that the, the president has a right to take these classified or not. Because he has, he has all the secure classifications. And nobody has a right to control that. Now, the archives has always questioned, well, we think some of these things should be in the archives. And they sit down and they have a room and... Gorka has an interview with a guy who's actually done that for years and years. Top security clearance guy. Top uh, military uh, uh, service. And he explains. They had access to all these. They could take anything they want before. They just had to say what they wanted. There was no need for a warrant. They They had the access to the room. By Trump's word. Trump was there when they were there before. And said, yeah, go ahead. And they they weren't kept from anything. This is is it's a, a joke. Hillary defied a warrant, destroyed information, kept stuff not in a secure place on her private server, top secret stuff. Uh, nobody's investigating Hunter Biden's laptop, so it's clear bias, clear bias, clearly weaponizing these deals. How do we get to that point? What did we do before this to get to this point? Because just arguing what's going on, what we see going on, the erosion of freedom going on, stop eroding our freedom so much. You have to find the source of the problem. And this is, when you really study history, you begin to see there is a pattern. Before Draco and his draconian codes... Something was going on in Greece that weakened the people so much that they wanted to have somebody in authority. Same in Rome. There was no emperor in Rome for 500 years. There was no commander-in-chief of the military that was an imperator. That's what imperator means, is commander-in-chief. He did not have the power to appoint judges, apotheos. He wasn't the first citizen. He was equal to all the other citizens for hundreds of years. But something changed amongst the people and gradually over about 150, 200 years changed the character of the people so that they wanted an emperor. They wanted a ruler. And of course, I've I've told you, I thought one of the best statements was by Polybius who said, the masses accustomed to living at the expense of others and depending for their livelihood on the property of others institute the rule of force and violence. Which was with those guys who want student loans. They want to force somebody else to pay for their loan. They, they say the rich, but it won't be the rich. The rich all have lawyers and accountants. They're not going to pay for it. I mean, they, 
The rich in America already are paying a huge percentage of the cost, but the cost is so great because you've elected draconian guys who are running up the costs, you know, running up the budget, spending more than the budget because they don't keep the Sabbath. They borrow against the future of your children. This is because you, because if your pastors aren't explaining this to you, you need a different pastor. You need to gather with people that are willing to hear the truth and to do something about it. Not just say, Lord, Lord, but actually make Christ their Lord by doing what Christ said to do, which is to take care of one another without the covetous practices of the Pharisees or FDR or LBJ. If you're not working to do that, you will not be free. You will continue this endless cycle of corruption. Tara saw it in Ur. They had, they had codified laws, like I mentioned, the Hammurabi codes. You could be put to death for helping a slave. You could be put to death for all kinds of things. Haran, his son, was put to death. It's, that's, if you look at the Hebrew, he didn't just die. He was made to die. He was put to death. And if you study the uh, Apocrypha of the Jewish lore around Abraham and Haran and everything, it's very clear. And he left Ur and he went to Haran. But Abraham left Haran. Abraham would have been ruler of Haran. He saw there was something about this rulership of men making choices for other men that turns good men into draconian leaders. It may be not every generation. Solon wasn't quite the draconian leader. But they didn't really get back to liberty. You have to take back your responsibilities. And that's what Abraham was doing. And he left Haran eventually with many souls who were willing to take back the responsibility of their social welfare through charity, which is what the altars were. Go read our article on sophistry. Go read our article on altars of clay and stone. These were systems of charity. The stones, the stones of those altars were always living stones. They were the ecclesia, the church in the wilderness. They were living stones. Don't unmoor the metaphor from its meaning. But we'll be back to Keys of the Kingdom after another brief break. So welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So... This idea of codifying laws, Justinian codes, Hammurabi codes, Draconian codes. Um, there is a need for some laws, especially if you're going to create a government that has some sort of exercising authority to accomplish whatever task it is that you give that government. And, of course, we're told in the Bible to write a constitution uh, they don't use the word constitution, but they say this: you write this down and you read it to your leaders every day 
if you're going to give them the power to, as a Basilius, as someone to exercise authority one over the other. And you can read our book, Free Online, uh, Contracts, Covenants, and Constitutions, and find out what that's all about, or go look at Deuteronomy 17 at Preparing You, and you can read it for yourself along with lots of other links. But this, I, those codes should limit the power of that government because we know the power corrupts. Hammurabi codes, uh, the draconian codes, were limiting the power of the people. But the people gave these leaders the power to codify their laws. Now, Americans, we haven't done anything that crazy, have we? <laughs> well, the reality is, in, you know, if you go read or uh, look up jury, and uh, read the jury letters that I've I've written to judges back and forth. the The reality is is that in America, at one time, your juries had the right to decide fact and law. They had you know, even when my father was learning to practice law, uh, which is a long time ago. If I'm way older than Al Sharpton, then that's even longer ago. But he was, I remember him preparing cases when I was seven and eight years old. And he was looking up other cases. He, he wasn't just looking up laws. Uh, he was looking up other cases because juries had decided this way and this, under these conditions and had decided this way under these conditions because it was the jury, the people, who decided fact and law. Not one jury for everybody, not 12 guys for everybody, or nine guys for everybody, but the jury could acquit and, and exonerate people and exercise one of the most important of the weightier matters that Christ lifts off. You know, what are the weightier matters that Christ lifts off? For those of you who don't listen regularly, probably don't know. Like I said, I went all over the country, talked to all kinds of people, and I would always ask, what are the weightier matters? Because Christ lists them off. He condemns the Pharisees because they weren't attending to the weightier matters. Nobody of their own cognizance could tell me what the weightier No pastors could tell me what the weightier matters that Christ lists off were. They could quote all kinds of stuff. And Paul... They could quote even some of Jesus, but they couldn't quote the weightier matters, which is law, judgment, mercy, and faith. Law, judgment, mercy, and faith. As a jury, you have the right to, dis- to determine mercy. Law, make a judgment with mercy through faith. That's what you could do as a jury. You can't do that if you take an oath to the court that you will decide this based on the codified laws of the state of whatever. They get you to waive your right. Now, if I tell you that, and then now you know that about jury nullification and all this stuff, are you going to be free? No. The only way to become free is to think differently than what got you where you're at. The Draco and the Draconians got their power. Pharaoh got his power. Uh, Rome got his power. Nimrod got his power. Cain got his power. 
Because we were willing to enslave others. We were willing to covet somebody else's right to choose. Somebody else's labor or right to choose. The boy who said, yeah, I think that uh, we should make the rich pay off my student loan. He had to hesitate there. So, so you think I should be made to pay off your student loan? And he thought, well, uh, well, should the people who didn't get the college education, didn't get the benefit, should they have to pay off the student loan? Uh, well, we'll make the rich do it. That's, that's always the great fallback, like the rich got all the money. That isn't the way it works. But anyway, it doesn't matter if they're rich. It's still your neighbor. He wants to enslave the rich. He wants to enslave somebody else who's got more money than him. Nothing divides the people more than that. But nothing will bring you into bondage quicker than that. Because you're willing to put other people, take away their right to choose to contribute to your need. You could start a GoFundMe. I got a huge student loan to pay off. I need help. All my friends, can you help me pay off my student loan? Oh, you don't have any friends? Well, maybe you better change the way you're living to see if they can pay off your student loan. Because <laughs> they might help you if you're a really nice guy. But if you don't have to be a nice guy, you just have to know how to fill out the paperwork, then you can remain a jerk and covet your neighbor's goods at the same time and put your neighbors into bondage. See, that's why you go into bondage. Because as you judge so shall ye be judged. He who receives the benefit should also bear the disadvantage. If you enslave somebody else, forcing them to pay off your student loan, to provide you with Social Security, to provide you with welfare, you will suffer the disadvantage of that covetous practice. You will be made merchandise. You will curse your children. The system, as the people have set it up today, is to forestall the wrath of God, the consequences of those choices. So, that's where the draconian, you start hearing the draconian. I just heard the other day, Trump talking about Having to get rid of, you know, drug traffickers, drug dealers. And, and he, he took advice from the CCP and other countries that we just kill them. We, we put them on a fast track, arrest them, try them, and put them to death. And Trump was saying, well, that will probably get rid of half of them right away. The first day you implement that, they'll get another line of business. Yeah, but you've also implemented something else. You've you've implemented draconian codes. And and you can justify it and say, well, you know, the drug dealer, he may kill a hundred people by selling his drugs. Well, yeah, that's true. And uh, And maybe you have to do something a little harsher with them because of the fact that what they're doing is actually clouded. And... You know, so that you can't really see how bad they are getting. 
and how much bad they are doing. But that's that's evidence of the draconian, the cold-blooded spirit coming in. You know, I've talked about this many times before, is that the reason for a justice system, even a prison system, in society, is not to punish the wicked. That's judging. If you judge yourself, God, to punish the wicked, you don't put somebody in jail to punish them. They're not paying their debt to society by going into jail for five years. They're creating debt in society. It's going to cost you fifty thousand dollars, you know, anywhere between twenty-five and fifty thousand dollars a year to house them in prison for what? Stealing a thousand bucks, two thousand bucks? No, no, it's not. It's not going to resolve the problem. It's going to create more. They're not paying the debt. The reason you put somebody in prison is to protect the innocent. If you're thinking in terms of punishment, you're thinking the wrong way and you need to repent of that. It's not your job to punish the wicked. The wicked are going to punish themselves. It's your job to make sure that you do not reward the wicked. And to a lot of guys who go to jail, jail is it's a piece of cake to them. It's not a problem to them. They're institutionalized. They'd rather be in jail than out working somewhere. But, no, it's not your job to punish the wicked. It's your job to seek the righteousness of God. And reciting uh, catechisms and reciting words and pretending to believe in Jesus but not do what he said is hypocrisy. For the church to preach part of the gospel is apostasy. He who receives the benefit, the gold chains of uh, the pastor I mentioned last week, Whitehead, he will also suffer the disadvantage. Now we've gone a long ways away from what Christ was telling us to do. So I think we can cover a little bit more of this, that the ecclesia is the called out to be the stones of an altar, a living altar, whereby you come together in a network. You, you don't just turn over anything to your minister. He's not turning, you don't turn over your right to choose to the minister. He's just to facilitate your desires to help one another, to love one another. And it's a practical way of doing it. You know, that neighbor who was walking over after he worked all day to check on the widow next door. He should work together with other neighbors. And we did that locally here. That if, you know, my wife is usually the one that checked on him, but there was another couple of people in the, the community that would participate in that. And they coordinated their efforts to check on the, the, the lady who eventually did fall and break her hip. And then she was put in the custody and control of the hospitals who pretty much killed her. Because they, well, long story. She made a choice and she ended up slipping and falling. And she couldn't figure out why she made that choice that day. But uh, she was a pretty stubborn lady. And she I mean, she was well into her 90s. The reality is is that uh, it was us who were there for her. You have to start being there for others if you want others to be there for you. 
And there's lots of things. This is a pattern that's repeated over and over again in the Old Testament and the New Testament. You know, when they tell you in Proverbs that if you be a man of appetite and you sit and eat with a ruler, put a knife to your throat because the dainties he serves are deceitful meats. It's the same thing that David said when should have the table that should have been for your welfare was a snare. Again, there's the tables. Paul quotes David telling us that what their table is a snare and a trap. And it's their welfare table. It is the dainties of rulers. It is the benefaction of the benefactors who exercise authority. This alters you because you become accustomed to living at the expense of others and depending for your livelihood on the property of others and you institute the rule of force through your rulers to force your neighbor to provide you with the free stuff that you want. You've done this with your schools, your social security, your welfare, your student loans, everything. And this has altered society. It has weakened society. It did not strengthen the poor. It weakened the poor like Sodom and Gomorrah. And if you go back to Greece at the time of the draconian situation, the same signs that we see in Sodom and the same signs we see today, the promiscuity and the delusions and the... Uh, gender appropriation and all this were going on at that time. It was going on at that time because they altered the way they took care of one another. They were eating the dainties of rulers. And this changed them. They were making the state their father of their family. He, the state was taking on the responsibility that belongs with the government of the people, for the people, and by the people which was the daily ministration, the daily bread that is shared amongst those who do occasionally need help. That's that's where you got to get back to. You say, oh, they're taking too much power and they're taking my rights away and they're doing... No. You have been slothful in the ways of righteousness. You have not been seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And the churches you go to that tell you all you have to do is say magic words or you just come to our church and we'll give you a good feeling in our sermons and and we'll make you feel good about yourself and we'll tell you that you're saved. Those are the prophets of the beast. Either by ignorance or lack of knowledge or in some cases willfully. The prophets of the beast. Because they're all delivering you into bondage with your covetous practices. You have to reverse those covetous practices with pure religion. Unspotted by the draconian systems of the world. That When it says unspotted by the world, the word world there is constitutional orders and systems of government. You should not be collecting any legal charity whatsoever from government because legal charity is not charity. You say, well, I don't. Are you setting the table of the Lord? Because I am sure you have to reverse the process. Are you working together with others? 
one of the key things that is required in order to do that is forgiveness. You have to forgive other people for not having your personal private interpretation of the Bible. You should see now that there is a law of nature created by God that if you want to put your neighbor into bondage, you yourself will go into bondage. If you want to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare through the agency of men who exercise dominion, if you want to take away the power of choice from your neighbor on how to help you, so that now you have men who exercise authority forcing him to help you, pay off your debts, provide you with your welfare, you will go into bondage. You will go back into the bondage of Egypt and it will be worse for you than it was originally. So, that is, that is key to understanding the gospel. Right there. Going this other way of righteousness. And, and people just aren't seeing it. They aren't making that connection. They don't want to see it. When they were talking about this on the home church group, saying that Ecclesia was just an assembly. They, they were talking back and forth until I mentioned something. And, you know, I just, I, I sent them the page on Ecclesia and somebody sent me, you should, you should read Robert Banks's book on Ecclesia. And it wasn't really on Ecclesia, it was on, you know, The Church Comes Home, I think was the name of the book. And the reality is, is that, you know, he was just flat out wrong. He was incorrect in his conclusions about what that word means. He just did not know what that word means. And he said that it just meant assembly. And it's just absolutely clear that Robert Banks is wrong. Now, when he said the first century wouldn't have thought of this word ecclesia as a religious word, that was right. He was absolutely correct when he said that. But when he goes on to say to them, it simply meant a gathering, an assembly. No, that is a lie. Everybody who spoke Greek in those days knew that the ecclesia was a political term. An ecclesia was a called out group to provide a political service to the people. In the case of the Levites who were called out and the church in the wilderness, they were to provide a system of social welfare through these altars that were received donations that were free will offerings. They weren't burning them up so that God would smell burnt sheep any more than that's what... And we'll we'll have to have more shows on this. We have plenty of articles that go through you step by step and show you that's not... We were always to be living altars. The Ecclesia was always a group called out to provide for the needy of society, the real needy of the society, in a way that strengthens the needy of society. And strengthens society because it's all done through free will offerings. If you use force, and that quote from Polybius goes on, you will degenerate. 
into what he says is, you know, it translates as perfect savages. You know, you'll have people rioting and burning places and looting and it will just be perfect savages. And they'll be hitting people over the head. They'll be shooting. You know, how many murders were there in Chicago this week? Perfect savages. That's what you will become. If you institute what FDR instituted and, and uh, LBJ instituted and you all have been a part of is a system of social welfare through the princes, through the men who exercise authority, who force the contributions of the people. This is what's destroying your nation. You not only have to stop that, you have to do what Christ said. Not just say you believe in Christ, but actually do what Christ said. And the only practical way of doing it is to do it the way Christ commanded that we do it. So Robert Banks was correct when he stated in every New Testament usage, uh, while ecclesia can mean more than a gathering, it never means something unrelated to a gathering. Absolutely, because the ecclesia is the ministers who go to the gathering and say, what do you want to donate to help the needy of your society in the practice of pure religion? Because pure religion is taking care of the widows and orphans and needy of your society. We know that. It says that right in the text. We know that that's part of the command of Christ to feed my sheep. Not just give them a little crumb on their tongue, you know, once a week. But actually, bags of food, like we see in 150 A.D., when ministers of ten would take bread to those widows and orphans who couldn't come to the assembly to get them through that week. Those that had shared with those that did not have enough. Which is exactly what John the Baptist... I know I repeat this message over and over again. But you should be repeating it to everybody else. You should be sharing our broadcasts, sharing our articles with as many people. I agree, just like on this little group, when I came back and pointed out that Robert Banks was wrong, that ecclesia has always been a political term. The, the church in the wilderness, the Levites, were a part of a political government. They also going back to those Hammurabi codes and the, and the Draconian codes that called for the death of everybody, and were seen increasing in the minds of people. The Levites were a part of the judicial system. Go look up cities of refuge at preparing you and find out what they really were and why you pick men of mercy to be a part of your judicial system, not men who seek power like what you have today. Anyway... We'll have to continue this later. Till then, peace on your house, and may God be with you. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640.
1-800-273-7840. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.